Welcome to season two of Sorting Pen, the California Cattlemen's podcast. Every day, the California Cattlemen's Association is sorting through the issues impacting California's ranching families and producers. To communicate those issues, discuss solutions, and keep ranchers current on the hot topics, CCA leadership developed this podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Sorting Pen. Hopefully you're having a good summer. Uh, we've got kind of a different episode for you today. I know we cover a lot of policy, a lot of regulatory updates, but today I'm excited to be sitting down with Jess Priles, also known as a hardcore carnivore. Some of you may be familiar with her, her seasonings, or um, you may have seen her on the Today Show grilling, but we're lucky to have her at CCA's feeder meeting this year. And Jess was willing enough to sit down with me and talk to us on the podcast today. So thanks for joining me, Jess. You got it. I was actually really excited to get the email asking to join in the first place because, you know, I will get into talking about what I do, but it's always sort of the most meaningful when the the industry itself reaches out and says like, hey, we'd love for you to, to, to connect with us and, and chat. So yeah, I know everyone was really excited to see you on the agenda. For those who don't know you, want to just give a little introduction? Um, I know it's 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 hard because I wear so many hats. So as you mentioned, I'm the founder of Hardcore Carnivore and that's a, a seasoning company. And we make stuff, as I say, for serious meat enthusiasts. And it does take up a lot of time, but that's sort of the least fascinating thing that I do, I guess. I'm originally from Australia. I live in Texas now. And over the years, I have become an accidental, inadvertent meat advocate. Uh, and it happened just by sharing a love first of barbecue um, on social media. And then as I learned more about barbecue and I had this very pivotal moment where I went back to Australia on one of my trips to Texas and I tried to buy a brisket and sure. I'm like, why does this look nothing like a Texan brisket? Cause it was a roll trim flat. And I always loved eating meat growing up. I was always like, looked forward to, to steak night. But I never knew the cuts, never knew how to how to cook them, never knew how to choose them. And so I felt quite unempowered at the meat counter. And and the whole brisket choice thing had a had a lot to do with that. Because I didn't understand how I could ask for a brisket and it'd be so different to what a brisket is in Texas. And that sort of led me down this inadvertent path to learning about breeds and feeds and how the industry works. And I mean, I'm like a city kid you know yeah. from Melbourne Australia it's a five million person city like I, the only time I had exposure to ag was the Royal Melbourne show which is like our version of the state fair you know okay. like that was it and so learning all this stuff I was just fascinated by it and I think as I learned, I shared what I was learning on social media and it started more from a cooking perspective, you know, like how to grill and live fire and choosing meat and all this kind of stuff. And then it switched to much more like, okay, okay, but I want to learn more about this. I want to learn more about the meat science. I want to learn more about feedlots. I want to I learn about it all because it's just so interesting to me. Again, I was just sharing everything that I was learning and people were, were really receptive to it and interested in the same things that I, I was. And I think the most pivotal thing for me was that I was that person and I was that consumer who assumed that the meat industry was sort of cloaked in secrecy and what were they keeping from me because that's how we sort of grew up. Yeah. And the most powerful thing for me was unlocking and, – and I mean I'm talking like – Ag people are so welcoming and like flinging open the doors and showing you the 
the truth and like sharing and just being honest with you. Yeah, they're incredibly hospitable. Very much so. And and it was that it was like, this is ridiculous. I nearly feel like I've had the wool pulled over my eyes about what really goes on in the meat industry because I've been conditioned to expect that it's this really nasty thing. And it's absolutely not. It's full of very honest, hardworking people. I mean, in every industry, there's bad eggs. Just because there's that one guy that spits in your burger doesn't mean that happens at all locations. Thankfully, you know yeah. I mean? But that's why I have been so motivated to kind of do what I do on social media, because I've now moved from kind of posting about recipes and such into a lot of meat myth busting, which is where I am today. So I'm sort of like flying the flag for beef online. There's probably nothing you could say more that would make our listeners happy. <laughs> I know, I, I'm like, and, and this, I mean, this is a 15 year journey. So it's really hard to give you an elevator pitch on it. And, and you know, and know, like, what have I missed out? You know, I've done Food Network. I've done TV stuff. I, I do speaking engagements. I cook at barbecue competitions, you know, or, or expositions and all that kind of stuff. But it's, um, I, I try and pick out my favorite parts yeah. when someone asks me that question. And I think kind of what you're talking on is you've done recipes, you've done grilling, but what you're finding your audience is most interested in is actually how and why, and how do we get to the point of grilling? How do a steak become a steak? Is that kind of what you're seeing? People are really interested on the story behind the food. Yeah, I think anything that that's a food cooking tip that can help someone elevate their game, people are really interested in. But I mean, now I'm talking about like explaining what beef trim is, like really getting into yeah. the, the heavy parts of it. Because I actually, <laughs> I went so far down the rabbit hole with this that I was both fascinated in wanting to learn more. Like I literally had printouts of cold shortening sitting on my bedside <laughs> table, which is really weird bedtime reading for a layperson. I also got frustrated because I had learned a lot around, along the way, more than the average sort of meat creator. I, I couldn't really authenticate the stuff that I did know. So um, I ended up two years ago finding out that Iowa State runs a completely online graduate course for meat science, and I'll be finishing that this summer. So I'll technically be a meat scientist at the end of it. And it was since doing that that I started to get a lot involved in a lot more meat myth busting, like being able to tell you what happens at a feedlot, being able to talk about myoglobin, being able to talk about like even, you know, I know this isn't beef, but brines and, and water yeah. weight and why we do it and why it's not just this secret to add weight to chicken and pork. And those are the ones that are, that are not only that I really love doing because it's stuff that I learned that I think is valuable, empowering information to consumers. But I think also like now in my industry, the whole like recipe creator space on Instagram and TikTok has swung to such a ridiculous like entertainment value place, like where you're coating a whole prime rib in peanut butter to see if it changes. The I mean, I've never done that because I have more respect for prime rib, but, um, <laughs> you know, like this is the type of stuff that they have to do now. To yeah, get it all views. has to be flashy. Yeah, it's like who can juggle the highest and as, as many things in the air. And so I knew I didn't want to go to that kind of sheer entertainment place and I wanted to take it to a more useful place. And that's why I really enjoy doing the meat myth busting stuff. Yeah. Is there a question um, from your social media that you get about beef a lot or from your engagement? Is there something that comes up repeatedly with that people want to know about beef or ranchers or how steak gets to the plate? Yeah, I think, you know, what we see most commonly, there's always the issue of it's not blood, it's myoglobin. I 
could die on that hill. Like there, <laughs> as many times as I repeat it, it's, it, it, it's never enough. People are really fascinated also to understand about the color change in beef. So convincing them that your ground meat that you buy at the grocery store, you know, that's brown on the inside because the outside's been exposed and yeah. you know, we all know how it works, is, is actually safe to eat. Or if you have two steaks that have been sitting on top of each other and, you know, slightly discolored because it's turned back to metmyoglobin, you know, it's that idea of food safety where people are empowered to understand about that as well. And obviously with beef being such a vividly colored meat, it, it, it has to deal a lot more with the myoglobin side of things. But mainly it's, you know, everyone's also fascinated to kind of find that Columbus cut as well, like to be the first to seek it out. You know, is there a new cut they've never heard from? And also which cuts aside from our primals that everyone knows about, like ribeyes and, and fillets, um, are great for cooking. And so, you know, I love telling people about the Terrace Major and the flat iron, and I'm a huge fan of sirloin steaks myself. So oh, it, it, I do a lot. Yeah, you do <laughs> like, a lot. It's a lot of different spaces. Um, obviously, we talk about tri-tip a lot in California because Californians eat a lot of tri-tip. Do you guys eat tri-tip in Australia? Is it a popular cut? So it's just started in Australia to get a little bit bigger. And then you've got the other added issue, which was really interesting to me too. I had to kind of learn two languages because sometimes the cut names, even within the States, are different names for different cuts. Like a porterhouse in Australia is actually a strip loin. Oh, uh, it's just that is confusing. confusing. Yeah. And an eye fillet is a, is a filet mignon. It's one of those things where... I learned about tri-tip really when I was in Texas. It's starting to become really popular in Texas. There it's known as the brisket of California. Oh, Um, interesting. Yeah, um, because of the San Maria style grilling on it. But it's such a great um, secondary cut that a lot more people are finding it. The biggest thing that I find is that people are confused. They think that a picanha or a top sirloin cap is the same as a tri-tip. And a lot of butchers who aren't aware actually try and sell them interchangeably. Looking at that top sirloin cap, you've got top sirloin cap, picanha, culotte. Those are all three names that it goes by. Tri-tip's really just the tri-tip. Yeah. Although I like to show people, I'm like, do you ever have problems with your hip flexors? That's your tri-tip. <laughs> and they're like, cool, but gross. So <laughs> well, it's my nasty habit, like knowing where our cuts are on our body. But You're going to be a meat scientist soon. Congratulations. Thank you. How have you gotten educated on the live cattle and what happens before um, it gets to just be a carcass? That's, that's a great question because it's not typically something, I mean, I guess you can do ag science or animal science, but that was really just connecting with other people, especially in the beginning on Twitter. There were a lot of, especially women in the meat industry, actually, who reached out to me, who worked for MLA, which is like NCBA, but Australia's version, okay. Meat and Livestock Australia, or who worked for big, you know, AA Co, whatever. And they invited me to, I did my first slaughterhouse tour in Australia, totally as a noob, which is so weird because usually the industry is like pretty careful about who they invite, but they knew that I was coming from the barbecue side of things. It just opened from there. You know, I've been to the teas plant in Australia. This was one called Bindery in Inverell and got taken to different feedlots because people want to show you, you know, they're like, look, I'm not doing anything wrong come, come and look, please come and look. And that's how it all started. And so it's actually culminated. Uh, you can see me this summer on Hulu season three of Barber Quest is coming out. And, um, that's a, a initiative put on by the Texas Beef Council. Awesome. Yeah. And till now it's just been barbecue and this season they decided to do what they call beyond the pit. 
And so we actually visited ranches and feedlots too, or feed yards, whatever you prefer to call it. And it'll be showing people more access to where their beef comes from and that it's not a dirty word. So I love any opportunity I get to learn more and to see different facilities. I was in Minnesota a couple of weeks ago and I saw some bison being harvested and never seen oh, that awesome. before. Yeah. It, and there's so many different, you know, whether you're in a, a small plant or something that just does a tremendous amount of head a day, there's always something to learn. Yeah. It sounds like we need to uh, get you connected with some Californians. I'd love to. That's really exciting though, that you're going to be on Hulu. Are you going to be hosting that um, season three or are you just, what, what role are you playing in? the show on Hulu. So seasons one and two were, there's a, there's a host of the show called Kelsey. And I was in season episode one where she came to Austin and I showed her around Austin. And then for season three, they asked me to co-host the whole season because they wanted someone who could connect the viewer with the ag side of things because I do know about, you know, like she's standing there. It's a pretty small feed yard. It was like less than 5,000 head, I think. And she's going, this is massive. And I'm standing there going, actually, it's not, <laughs> you know, not as, not as feed yards go. That's not, that's not quite big. So it was good to have Kelsey represent the consumer. And then I was there to kind of connect the dots. Yeah. So even on that show, it sounds like you're going to be doing a little bit of myth busting. For sure. Awesome. Well, we'll be excited for that. What was the name of it one more time? It's called BarbaQuest. BB Quest. BB Quest. Yes. Okay. So in addition to um, just being out there, it sounds like in advocating on behalf of our ranchers and the beef industry in general, you do still barbecue and have hardcore carnivore. What are you still doing with that? I know you have a cookbook. I do. I have a cookbook called Hardcore Carnival. We've got eight seasonings in the line and trimming knives and butcher's paper and all that kind of stuff. I eat meat seven days a week. My husband isn't allowed to touch anything in the kitchen or at the grill, <laughs> which, you know, I'm sure he's happy because he just gets everything done for him. <laughs> I really still enjoy recipe. You know, I do a lot of recipe testing still and a lot of recipe creation because at the end of the day, like the meat myth busting stuff is only interesting if you, it, for people, it's always interesting to me, if you mix it with sure recipes. If you're actually it. eating that. At the end of the day, it's because we love to eat it, right? Exactly. So you you got to do that too. So what are some of your favorite cuts of beef? I really do. I mean, ribeye is probably my death row steak, of course, but um, I really do love top sirloin. I just think it's, I love the texture. I love the beefiness of it. Like I never order filet personally. I just feel like it's steak, not marshmallow. Like <laughs> there's, there's, you can have it be tender without having it be ridiculously tender. And I don't feel like filet has enough flavor. I love flat irons. I love terrace majors. I love bavettes. There's so much, even actually the, um, the top round cap is a little like all this little hidden secret cuts a lot of fun I did tell you the producers ranchers listening to our podcast mm -hmm. primarily and I feel like most of them I'm not speaking on your behalf if you're listening but probably think they know how to cook a good steak what advice do you have for them or grilling tips you give people in general even if they've never cooked a steak what are like some of your top tips for people so here are my top tips for grilling one buy the best beef you can afford because um, we know that grade do, does make a difference to, you know, tenderness and, and flavor. Two is pat your steaks dry before you cook them because that Maillard reaction or that crust is going to happen the drier the surface is, which is the same reason that if you load up your pan with too much ground beef and the water starts to come out, it'll only ever be gray and it won't ever brown. Get your hands on a meat thermometer. Absolutely. Because <laughs> that takes all the guessing out of it. You know, it'll tell you the doneness 
to exact. It'll also give you safe temperatures for, for your ground beef as well. And most of all, when you grill, I would say, I always grill. If your grill is out there, pay attention. This is it, okay? I know you don't like being told what to do, but trust me, this is for the good <laughs> of your taste buds. I always set up my grill for two-zone cooking, and that means I'm on a charcoal grill. I load up my charcoal, I light it, light it a chimney, and I dump it all into one side of the grill. So what that gives me is a hot zone and a cool zone. And the hot zone's really hot because the charcoal is all piled up. And that means no matter what I'm cooking, no matter which cut, no matter how thick, I can sear it and keep it moving because I, I am a flipper. I just keep flipping because you will build a crust without overcooking hashtag your Hashtag just steak. keep flipping. That's it. It's my hashtag. Look it up. And then if you're cooking like, let's say, a, a big tomahawk or even smoking a chuck roast or something like that, you can get that sear over the hot side and then move it across to finish cooking to that perfect doneness. No matter what you're cooking, it, it's just a great setup to, to have. Two zone cooking. Two zone cooking. Especially, I know we're not meant to talk about other proteins, but if you were to cook something very flammable like a bacon or a chicken wing, which hypothetically, we, hypothetically, well, you need an, there always has to be an appetizer before the main event and beef is the main event, right? But the point is that when you're cooking something flammable like that, you can cook it on that indirect side and not have it flare up. Is there a recipe on your website either that you really love to cook personally or that has just surprised you and been really popular that you didn't expect? I have. Oh, how about this one for controversy? So actually, I do do a lot of tri-tip as my signature recipe when I do like Beef Australia, which is the huge national conference down there. I cooked tri-tip for the restaurants there. First of all, we have a black rub in Hardcore Carnival that has charcoal in it. So whatever oh. you put it on, it turns everything jet black color. It doesn't have a taste, doesn't have a smell. It's like cosmetics for meat, right? And then I smoke my tri-tips for about an hour until they're to the medium side of medium rare. So I pull them at about 138 degrees and I wrap them really tightly in foil and I rest them for a good 30 minutes before I cut them. And I know that's a little different to how y'all do it here because you kind of cook it more like a brisket, like all the way. But medium rare tri-tip that's been smoked, it only takes about an hour and it is phenomenal. And the black rub gives it that charred looking outside so you don't have to sear it. Okay, so if you're listening, looking for something to cook for 4th of July that's new and might not be at the barbecue next door. Yeah. Sounds like a good option. Yeah. Stand out from the crowd. So one other thing I wanted to chat with you about since we are in California, we saw that you're going to be hosting the World's Butchers Challenge in Sacramento, uh, which is super exciting. Um, it's the first time that that's been in the United States, correct? That event? That is correct. It's World Butchers Challenge, and it's basically the Olympics of butchery. There's 16 teams from around the world who are going to be coming to Sacramento. It's September 2nd and 3rd. There's a young apprentice division, and then the main event, it's going to be the Golden One Center. And I'm hosting the whole thing, which I'm so, so stoked about. But it's a chance to recognize the craft of butchery. And I think that you know, even though it's adjacent to ranching, anything that elevates the meat to being more of a craft and less of a commodity is a great, it's a great step marketing wise. So if you're near there, please do come join, come be a spectator. It's going to be an incredible celebration of meat and seeing what these guys can do. They'll have to cut it live, like on the arena floor in front of everyone. So are they doing it one by one 
or are they competing at the same time or it just depends? I think they're all competing at the same time and they practice like Team USA is has been practicing because originally it was meant to be in 2020 and obviously it's been pushed back, but they fly. They're from all over. Like one of the guys is from Austin. Another one of the guys is from somewhere on the East Coast and they fly from where they're at to Sacramento and practice as a team. It's crazy to, to get their, their display right for this final a competition. So they've been working on it. it. It's pretty serious work. The more I read about it and look into it, just based on the previous events, I can't remember where, where of the previous I, challenge Ireland, has been. Yeah, Ireland was the last one and they actually won that. Ireland won the one in Ireland. So, so awesome. Team USA going to have to bring it home, I think. Yeah, it's super exciting. I'm excited about it being in Sacramento. Again, it's going to be at the Golden One Center uh, where the Sacramento Kings play. So if you're interested, we can link you to that so you can find more info on it. We'll be excited to see you there, Jess. I'll and be excited to be there. I mean, if you think it's fun hosting anything, imagine when you get to talk about live cutting meat. You know, I'm there for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll be perfect. Anything else that you wanted to add or think that our ranchers would be excited to know? Look, uh, just if, if you want to see some of the things I was talking about, you can find me on my social media at Jess Priles, J-E-S-S-P-R-Y-L-E-S. That's also my website, JessPriles.com. Lots of free recipes there. And yeah, come say hi online. We'll link that in the podcast description as well. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for joining us in San Diego as well. No worries. And just the shout out and thank you to everyone listening. Thanks for making great beef for me to cook. Yeah. Thanks for being our advocate. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jess. <laughs>